All right, welcome to Emmaus. My name is Rich. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, if you do not have a Bible and you would like one, please raise your hand and the ushers will be passing out these Bibles. Also, uh, we have these prepared note cards. Uh, they can be helpful just to, to take notes on. Um, and then also on the back, I'm not sure if you guys have ever realized this, but there's some uh, questions there uh, that you guys can ask each other on the car ride home or in your home groups. That's a great way to, uh, to really apply this sermon uh, to your life. And uh, lastly, uh, we have these communication cards. Um, if you've received one of these on your way in, um, fill, fill them out. Uh, it's helpful for us to be able to connect with you. We do send out a weekly email that uh, is like three easy things about Emmaus. We won't spam you or send you cat videos, but um, uh, also there's a prayer request on the back. We, uh, it really is our privilege to be able to pray for you. Uh, so we would love to join you guys in uh, what you guys are going through. And so uh, fill that out. That would be helpful. Um, so I have the honor again to welcome uh, Rabbi Joshua Rubenstein. He is the um, rabbi of a messianic uh, community, Jewish community in uh, Sacramento. And uh, I hear he actually might be a little more popular than Nate on our uh, videos, but um, don't let him know. Uh, don't let him know. Uh, so anyway, we have the privilege of, honor, of welcoming him. He is a, um, a man that is incredibly passionate about the gospel uh, of Jesus, uh, bringing the uh, Jewish Messiah Jesus to uh, his people as well as uh, to everyone. And so we're really uh, grateful that you're here. Um, listen, uh, uh, Rabbi Joshua has a, an incredible perspective on the gospel that we all need to hear. And um, so I, I just pray that you would open your hearts this morning and uh, hear the gospel afresh this morning. All right. So welcome with me, Joshua. Thank you, Rich. There's all the things, the things to get. I'm uh, I'm actually literally going to set a timer. Um, I'm used to, in my community, pretty much kind of rambling till people fall asleep. Um, and then I figure the sermon's done. So I'm going to work on that today. So um, it's really wonderful to be with you here at Emmaus. Thank you for having me. Um, as I shared last week, it's really, it's not every day that a nice Jewish boy gets invited to preach at a church. So that's really a privilege for me. And, you know, I really love Pastor Nate's heart for the rhythms, the liturgical rhythms of life. And much of that is rooted within the Jewish root. Um, you know, Jesus, a nice Jewish boy, the disciples, nice Jewish boys getting into Jewish adventures in the Jewish land, you know. So it's, it makes a lot of sense um, and so then when Pastor Nate said, hey, you know, just after Shavuot, just after Pentecost, um, I'd love to have you come and preach a couple of times. I thought that's so beautiful because there's so much within the Jewish rhythm and also the church rhythm of life around this time that's really very special. And I believe that it points very clearly to the kingdom that we're actually already living in as well as the kingdom that someday we're going to experience. I was really blessed by just the first worship songs and of this idea of the coming someday of the Lamb of God, of Yeshua, of Jesus, and Him sitting once again in the throne in Jerusalem and making all things new, you know, and that's what we're all headed towards, and there's a sweetness in that. 
So last week I shared um, how God really, if you look at Shavuot, I'll, sorry, I'll often call it Shavuot, um, but that's just Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, okay? So it's the same thing. It's rooted in Passover. Passover for the Jewish people is actually when you begin counting, you count from Pesach, from Passover, and that's how you actually get to Pentecost. You count the seven weeks. And so, and so if you look at Pentecost and what God is doing there, you actually have to look at Passover also. And what God is doing is he's actually trying to have a people. He's trying to take slaves, as we also sung about, and he's trying to make us into sons and daughters, right? And what he did with the Jewish people was he led them in just seven short weeks out to a mountain where he himself descended upon the mountain. And we know that mountains melt like wax before the Lord. And there he betrothed himself to the Jewish people. And he said, I don't want you to just be my slaves. I want you to be my beloved. So I'm sure some of you know the history of my Jewish people. We did not do so great. God was faithful, right? But my people, we were not. And almost from the moment that we entered into the land, well, and even before that, really, we were in rebellion. And we moved back and forth between seasons of obedience and seasons of disobedience and back and forth and back and forth. And it was so, honestly, it was exhausting for our people that the prophets began to prophesy that someday... The Spirit, the Ruach of God, would actually come upon all people and enable us to break out of the perpetual cycle. See, what happens is God sets us free. He protects us, He redeems us, and He brings Him to He brings us to Him to choose Him. But then we sell ourselves back into slavery over and over and over again in our lives. Just as the Jewish people did. Over and over and over again, they would sell themselves literally in slavery to gods that were horrible, horrible gods. What would it take to break out of that cycle? And this, of course, leads us very naturally to the second and most amazing Pentecost, in my opinion. It's the Pentecost in which the Spirit comes so powerfully upon the disciples of Yeshua, of Jesus, that they recognize that that new day is actually upon them. That God is actually in the process, not just then of freeing slaves, but now he is actually reaching inside and gifting us with his spirit and saying, listen, you can obey. I'm going to place a love inside of you. I'm going to so transform your heart that you actually want holiness. And I'm sure some of you have maybe even experienced this in your own life or you've seen it in other people. There are people who seem to be doing the Christian life white-knuckled and they're just trying as hard as they can and they just keep failing over and over again and it's just work and it's laborious. And then there are these people who love Jesus, these Christians, and for them it just seems like there's this passion and love and desire for what is holy and they are the people that we're often drawn to. 
Or like, man, I don't know what is inside of you, but I want some of that. And that all happened in Acts chapter 2. Shall we away? Let's do it. Acts chapter 2, page 759, for those of you following along. So this second amazing Shavuot, this second amazing Pentecost comes, and it comes actually in some ways that are similar, but in some ways that are totally different than that Pentecost that happened such a long time ago where God betrothed himself on the mountain. Some of the similarities are fire, um, and what's actually really interesting, if you study what the rabbis teach about that first Pentecost, about the time when God met the people on Sinai, it says that when he came upon the earth, when he struck the earth, that it was like a blacksmith's hammer coming down upon the hot metal, and sparks flew from the earth. And so if you think about it, there's a, a sweetness then that we see here is like tongues of fire come upon the disciples and they begin to be infilled with something that's completely unique. And we know that in the previous reality of Torah that there were just like a few people that were filled up by the Spirit. We know in fact that at one point Moses is like doing way too much. And he actually lays his hands on some of the elders of the community so that they would receive some of the spirit that was placed upon him, right? But it was the few. It was the very few that were experiencing it. And now in the book of Acts, we're going to see that thousands of people are going to experience the spirit of the living God. I mean, do you realize how fundamentally different the era that we're living in is right now than pre this chapter, than before the second chapter of Acts? It's like night and day. If you've ever struggled internally because you can feel the pull to holiness and you can feel the pull of your flesh, it's because we're living in this reality. The Spirit of the living God has broken out of the temple and has gone upon all flesh. And He's moving upon the hearts of people because that was always God's plan. Always was not plan B. It was always God's plan for His Spirit to come upon His people so that they would actually love Him. Peter recognizes that day is here. People are making fun of him. You guys must be drunk. I mean, like, crazy. It's like super early in the morning and you're totally drunk. And Peter's like, no, come on. So here we are. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, verse 1, so this is actually 7.58, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? Because Shavuot, because Pentecost was a mandatory pilgrimage festival in which every Jewish male that was able to was required to go to Jerusalem to the temple to bring a sacrifice. And so, of course, God does this, right? Because then he pours out the Spirit here, and then they all go back. As we talked about last week, they all go back to their homes, right? And they take these tongues of fire with them. It's amazing. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which is like, you know, ignorant fishermen. I mean, seriously? Like, speaking fluently other languages? This is insane. And so, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and also converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, like God was pouring out on everyone, right? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And this just points to one of the things that the Spirit loves to do. The Spirit loves to bring glory to Yeshua, to Jesus, and He loves to bring glory to the Father. It's in some ways why sometimes it's a little hard for us to see what the Spirit is doing because the Spirit is always like, no, eyes on Jesus, eyes on the Father. He's always redirecting our gaze, which is really amazing. It's very much like a worship leader, I think. Because the worship leader in many ways is like, no, 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 not up here. Look at him. Look at him, right? That's sweet. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, said they've been drinking. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed a crowd of thousands, which is amazing. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this, this is the coming of what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people, right? No longer just for the Jews. No longer do you have to be a convert into Jewish life in order to receive the spirit. In fact, we know in some ways when the curtain was torn in the temple, we know that there was an inclusion of all peoples that was going on. In fact, Yeshua, before he goes up to heaven, he says, I want you to actually start here, but I want you to go to the ends of the earth. This also was not plan B. God desires a people from every tongue and tribe and nation because it's beautiful to him. It is beautiful when we all, in our own distinctive way, get together and worship Him because each one of you has a piece of the divine spark that worships and loves God uniquely. It's like an orchestra. When I was a kid, um, I've been playing violin since I was four years old, and I got to be part of all-state orchestra uh, back in the day uh, when I you know, used to actually practice. That was way back in the day. And I still remember, it was like 150 instruments, right? And there I was, I was the second chair of the second violin section, so I wasn't, you know, amazing, but I was okay. And all of a sudden, as soon as everybody's done tuning, and the director dropped the baton, and I heard all 150 instruments at the same time, surround sound is nice, but if you've ever sat inside the orchestra, there's a sweetness of every person fully focused, fully, like intently desiring perfection 
each one of them with slightly different violins, slightly different violas, slightly different double basses, and all of it comes together? It's glorious. That was God's desire. All of us together in love, hearts of flesh, worshiping Him, loving Him with everything that's inside of us, distinct, unique, and beautiful as an orchestra before the Lord. In fact, we read in Revelation that this is actually one of the heights of heavenly worship, is to see people from every tongue and tribe and nation declaring who God is. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour my spirit, pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Peter knows the prophecies. He knows that what this means, what this pouring out of the Spirit means, is that we no longer have to try white-knuckled to love God. Instead, we can be a recipient of a divine power that would turn our hearts to God in love. And he goes on to declare that it is through Jesus, the Messiah, and his beautiful sacrifice that our hearts are even able to come alive. You know, if you don't understand this, if you don't understand Jesus taking your place and allow that love to pierce your heart, you can't actually get to this. Because they say, what, what are we supposed to do? Right? Let's read. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that our father, the patriarch David, died. He was buried. His tomb is over there. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make enemies of your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And I genuinely believe that it was the work of the Spirit that cuts people to the heart. I don't believe that you can understand the beauty of this mystery unless the Spirit is at work in you, beginning to change you and transform you already and show you that you are not righteous, that you do not have inside of you what it takes to be holy, that you need a sacrifice. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So there are two important works that the Spirit was foretold to do in the last days. The first one, which is really important, is that he would actually give his people, instead of a heart of stone, so that they would kind of stop selling themselves into slavery, he would give a heart of flesh. And what does that mean except for that we would actually be sensitive to the desires of our God? I mean, isn't that one of the fundamental realities of marriage? A self-sacrificial love means that you actually listen to the other person and you care what they think and you will change your behavior if it's hurting them. Am I the only one? Okay, that's all right. I know I'm intense, right? My eyes get all big and you're like, why are his eyes so big? Maybe he has a problem. I probably do. I don't know. I just get really intense about these things because I really love him so much, you know? And I just want that love to get out there. So what I'm saying is that there's a reality of a changed heart in this era. That we don't have to struggle in the same way that the Jewish people did. We already have at work in us a spirit that is making us sensitive to God. I believe genuinely that people who are like, there is no God. I believe so much that if you really get to the heart of what's going on in there, they deeply know that there's a God. And they've just found it so hard to please Him. And they don't know that the key is actually surrender instead of trying and trying and trying. And it is so hard in this era in which we're told that we can do it. You are strong. You are powerful. You can do it. Everybody gets a trophy nowadays. Everybody. For just showing up, striking out in every game. Here's your trophy. <laughs> it's real. I mean, and it's brokenness inside of us that we think somehow that we have to affirm our failure rather than just saying, no, I don't have what it takes. No, I need you. There's such beauty in weakness. So where are these two things prophesied? One of them is that we would actually be able to love him. And the other one is that we would actually internalize the law, the Torah. You know, that the Ten Commandments in some way would be fundamentally written on our hearts. 
Have you ever uh, talked with somebody who wants to be all postmodernist and tell you there is no such thing as truth? And do you ever just want to, like, you know, take something really valuable out of their house? <laughs> and just see what they would do? You know, it's like, this is such a beautiful TV. It would look so nice in our living room. I'm so glad you don't believe in absolute truth. Let me just take this from you. They start believing in thou shalt not steal really fast. Really fast. There's a reality in this age that the Spirit has written upon our hearts the law so that you don't even have to tell your brother or your sister this is what you should do. People can feel it. And when we do say to them this is what you should do, it's almost like we're reminding them of a deeper truth that they already knew. Let's look at the prophecies really quickly. Hebrews 8. Hebrews chapter 8. I'm sorry, I don't already have the page number for this, but I'm close. Here we go. 841. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews is an interesting book of the Bible, at least for me as a nice Jewish boy, because it's actually written to nice Jewish boys. It's written to those who are from the tribes, who are dispersed, who are scattered. Um, and so I take that pretty personally, and I, I read this sort of stuff um, because I think like, oh, well, then it's written to me. I better pay attention. But, you know, there's a reality of all of us Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. So I think it's okay for you guys, too. Let's do it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8. I will allow you to read your own holy Bible. How's that? I'm so sassy. I'm sorry. There was a brokenness in the first covenant. And the brokenness was an internal one. We were unable to internalize the law, and we were unable to actually love God. And so here he's saying that the first covenant was broken, verse 7 of Hebrews 8. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people, and he said, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And he's, and he's quoting Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. So it's not like that first covenant of the first Pentecost. This is going to be a new covenant. It's going to be fundamentally different. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So the very first thing that the Spirit does in this new era is He actually begins to get inside of us so that we internalize what is written in the Word of God. And this is actually really important, guys, because the first step to actually loving Jesus is recognizing that you need Him. And this is why the poison of postmodernism is so powerful. Because it says that there is no need for a redeemer, you're doing fine. Whatever you've chosen to live, whatever moral code you have, you're fine. It's fine. That flies in the face of reality that God has actually programmed laws into this universe. 
and he's created things to function in a specific way. And when we are not obeying them, we are not right with him. And we must be transformed. Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about the other one. It gives us love for God so that we could obey. So let's look for Ezekiel. I'm used to flipping through my Bible. Oh, just found it. Excellent. Ezekiel chapter 36. Looks like we're around page 602. Maybe uh, 601. Here we go. Because I want to begin with verse 16. Ezekiel 36, 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. When the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they defiled it with their idols. And if you look at the idol worship that the people were involved in, it was utterly grotesque. Utterly grotesque. I dispersed them among the nations, and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they further profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are God's people, and yet they had to leave his land. And so I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Now here's the promise. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you back from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We need the Spirit. Otherwise, we are absolutely prone to unfaithfulness to God. And it is true that the name of God is honored often because of the behavior of His people. And how we behave shows whether or not we are actually in love with a holy God. Do we profane His names by our actions? I pray not. Now, it would seem, from what I've said, that much of the responsibility is on the Holy Spirit. That it's the Spirit that comes and does work inside of us and then transforms us. But there is a call and response. We have a responsibility because of the great work of the Spirit in our lives. We have obedience to do. And it genuinely begins with love. And I just want to remind you that love is not a mental activity. It is of the heart. 
Even though we are told to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's not just mental assent. You need to feel the love of God. And I would argue that this is supernatural, which is why Paul prays for it in the book of Ephesians. He says, I get down on my knees and I pray for you that you would know the love of Messiah in your innermost being through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are finding it hard to obey, my guess is that your love may have grown cold. You may not have recently experienced the overwhelming love for Jesus. Oh man, what was that movie where they, where they showed the execution of Jesus in graphic detail? The Passion. Oh man. You want to increase your love for what Jesus has done for you? Watch that with sobriety. And see what he went through for you. Knowing that you were on his mind personally by name. That is what the Spirit pierces our hearts with. So that we could actually love. It must actually touch our heart. We have to understand the sacrifice of Yeshua, of Jesus on the cross. Otherwise, the rest of this doesn't make sense. There's no entryway for the Spirit to move because we get self-justified and we think the world is all about us. But this reorients us. It shifts our point of view to the fact that this is a love story and we're the beloved. We're not the initiator. We are the ones rescued. And so we have a response then to the one who has done so much for us. We need to listen to the Spirit. Do you have quiet time? Do you have times to just be silent? And I don't mean like necessarily structured like Bible reading time. I mean just to be quiet and wait for the still, small voice of the Spirit. I also want to encourage you, if you feel like the Spirit is moving you, stirring you in a direction, don't just run with it. That's the strength of living in community. Bounce it off other people who love God. Does this line up with his word? Does this make sense for my life? Does it feel right to you? Frankly, everything that we do in our lives, we should hold up to the standard of the fruit of the Spirit. Is it birthing love and joy and peace and patience? That's a huge one for me. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is it? If not, is it from the Spirit? Let it go. We watched that movie so many times. Oh, my goodness. I have four small children. Thank goodness we, it's not part of our regular rotation now. We must maintain our love for God. Love is active and it's sacrificial. And we're at war. There is a real enemy that prowls around like a lion looking for whom he may destroy And he wants your love to grow cold. Stir up your love. You'll have an opportunity today to respond to the love of Jesus. Let your heart be moved. Get your big fat brain out of the way. Let Jesus' sacrifice pierce your heart. Say yes to the fire of the Spirit inside of you actively pursue love with him. Just as you have to do with your spouse or with your children, actively pursue love. Don't let it grow cold.
we also need to work purposefully to obey. Have you ever felt like there was a time in your life where you were really walking with God and it just felt like it was so clear what he wanted you to do and then you made a choice very purposefully to disobey and it just kind of felt like you were suddenly adrift and it was hard to hear his voice again and it was like, where am I? Repent. Come back and listen again. The enemy wants you to stay out here in condemnation. Oh, you blew it forever. Because that's all he ever does is he tries to take lambs and pick them off one by one. Remove yourself. Isolate yourself. Hide from the community. You're shameful. No one has sinned the way you've ever sinned. Stupid lies. I will guarantee this room is full of sinners. I know I'm one. We must be truthful about the places in our lives that aren't in alignment with a loving God. Once again, if you're married, super helpful. Ask your spouse. Ask your spouse what problems you have. Lovingly, lovingly. We must speak the truth in love. It's really easy for us. We give ourselves a lot of grace. and We kind of think our lives are together. and We're, we're pretty good, right? Have you ever sat down, though, with somebody that really loves you, whether it's your spouse or somebody else, and said, what's like one thing that you just look at and you're like, man, this is clearly broken in your life? And can you lovingly receive that and go before the Lord and repent and ask for the Spirit to come in and begin to empower you to obey? See, that's the, the transition of the second Pentecost. It's a transition not just from people who can choose God. It's a transition to sons and daughters. And there's a supernatural love that happens from the moment you hold your children. A love that pierces you to the very core of who you are and you would get in front of a truck for this little person. See, in that sort of love they can feel and they reflect it back. And that is our relationship. We're told in the book of Romans that we have received through the Spirit a spirit of adoption. Sons and daughters. That's how our God makes us into a people. People that He can use. I'd love for us to just pray. And especially since we're going to have an opportunity to respond, I'd love for us to pray that our hearts today would be pierced in some way, whether big or small, by the love of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would move upon this holy community and begin to pierce our hearts for how much Yeshua, how much Jesus loves us. Is that a cool prayer? Cool with that? All right. I like to ask because sometimes I pray things and everybody's like, kind of like, Mm, it doesn't feel quite kosher. And I know some of you are maybe not there, but I heard a few people say yes, so we're going with it. God, thank you so much. We love you. Thank you so much that you loved us first. Thank you so much that you would actually come while we were still deep in sin, before we had anything that would like be lovely or beautiful, and you died in love for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring revelation in our innermost being 
of the love of Jesus for us this morning so that we can enter into the beautiful call and response of heaven to feel the love, the weighty, immeasurable love of heaven inside of us and then to reflect that back to you, God, because you're worthy. You are worthy of all of our love because of your faithfulness, because of who you are, because of your forgiveness, because of your death and resurrection. You're worthy. Please receive our love too, God. And let us be like a sweet orchestra for you today. Each one of us pouring out love back to you in a really unique and beautiful way. God, we're asking these things in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Messiah. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Um, we're going to transition just uh, into a time where we uh, take that, uh, the love that Christ has pierced with our hearts, and we're